usually if a child's having trouble with academics, there's something going on that's an underlying cause and it's not a lack of workbooks. That's never your underlying cause, right? Most kids are getting a lot of practice with the academic skills they need. So if we're seeing them falling behind, the problem may be their brain needs something else. Hi, this is Liz Weaver, and you are listening to the Learning Success Podcast, an information-packed podcast with the latest news, information, and tips to help you overcome a learning difficulty. For anyone suffering from a reading difficulty, writing difficulty, a math difficulty, a focus problem, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, or ADHD, this is the place for you. The Learning Success Podcast is brought to you by LearningSuccessSystem.com. Hello, and welcome to the Learning Success Podcast. I'm Phil Weaver, and today we have with us Marla Swast. Marla is a mom who writes in the cracks of time between educating, chauffeuring, and feeding half a dozen kids. And I bet they're a, a, a hungry half dozen kids, <laughs> I would imagine. So uh, Marla Swast lives in Marietta, Georgia, with her husband and six children, two dogs, one cat, and a son, Kanur. You can tell me if I pronounced <laughs> that right. I know it's a bird. Okay. Yes. Uh, she is passionate about teaching children in a developmentally, developmentally appropriate way, nourishing their mind body and heart. She is the author of Stepping Through History, Starting With Yourself. Uh, her homeschool blog focuses on how the brain learns, covering topics such as cognitive and neuroscience, along with practical tips on how to incorporate the, the knowledge that knowledge into your everyday homeschool life. Marla is the founder and writer behind www.jumpintogenius.com. And today we will be speaking about Beyond Homework, More Ways You Can Help Your Child Learn. So hello, Marla. Hi. It's great, great to have you today. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Good. So I want to jump right into um, one of the, what I think is one of the most important points here, something that you can talk about, and that is the malleability of intelligence. Okay. I think that uh, I know for, and I have a lot of experience with the fact that our society um, assumes that we have a, a static intelligence, that we get what we're born with. And I'm going to read from, from one of your blog posts. It says, it has been shown over and over that hard work and the belief that you can learn are the only ingredients needed to shatter your own previous barriers of intelligence. So Marla, can you speak to that for us? Um, well, I guess, you know, that idea that intelligence is fixed. There's a lot of history with that and we haven't quite shifted our mindsets for what the science actually says now. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think what first got me so interested in that idea was actually um, my father who believed he was uh, very stupid because he didn't do well in school. Mm -hmm. And so he was told year after year by teacher after teacher that he was just dumb and he would never do anything great. And as I started becoming an adult, I look around at the other adults around me and I realize my dad is one of the most intelligent people I know. Yeah. He knows so many things on so many topics and it's all self-taught. And it's because he spent so many hours of his life as an adult reading things. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that just made that idea that it is not fixed a part of my life because I knew someone who really had changed 
um, even if he didn't necessarily still, he doesn't think of himself as smart or intelligent, but everyone around him knows that he is. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there's just, there's so many studies showing that um, our brains do grow and learning things creates new connections. And the more connections we have, then when we encounter something new, there's more things to connect it with. So sure. learning actually even becomes easier. The more we learn, the easier it is to learn more things. Right, right. We're, we're growing our capabilities. Yeah, and, and I, so in, in that, what I quoted, you said, and the belief that you could learn. So that has a lot about other people's expectations, which is what you said about your father. Teachers That's were telling right. them. Right. I, I also know quite a number of intel very intelligent people that still don't believe that they are intelligent in, the, in exactly the same way. Um, they, they, you know, some of them had a specific learning disability growing up and they assumed because, with dyslexia because of that specific learning disability, they assumed that, and we're told that they were not intelligence. Yeah. Um, I do yeah. know, you, yeah, you mentioned the history and I do know that the history of, of the intelligence malleability actually goes back into like the Seven, the late 1700s, there were actually some, some evidence back there. The real strong evidence came in in the 30s, but it was just widely disputed. Nobody believed it. And now we're at a point at, where it's, it's absolutely proven. And, but I, I think that a lot of the educational world, um, I, I'm sorry I'm taking this over, but this is a big no, part. Right. This is a really big strong belief. I, I do have an idea this. about why it's hard to believe though. Okay, yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear it. So, but but we do know that yeah, there's so many examples of the educational world and even professionals out, outside of it in education still hanging, clinging on to this belief that it that it's not, and it, it it's extremely damaging, extremely damaging to kids. So yes, please. Well, because an intelligent person has more connections and more information in their brain. Um, when they encounter new information, they're going to pick it up more quickly. So it's hard for us to believe that what we might call slow kids um, won't always be slow because they're not picking it up as fast as the other kids. Mm -hmm. But there is a um, sort of trajectory that you can take to overcome that. And I've seen that specifically with two of my own kids. Okay. One who had several learning disabilities and one who's just very learning is just too easy for him in a lot of ways. So both ends of the spectrum. Both ends of the spectrum, right next to each other, sort of in age. And um, yes, I got to see that hard work and doing a lot of these things with neurocognitive science actually put the child who had these learning issues in the positions where other people, when he meets them, now he's 16 now, He's doing college courses and other people think he's super smart. Right, right. And he, I laugh about it. He's starting to laugh about it too because he remembers how hard it was for him to learn how to read because he had dyslexic issues also. Mm -hmm. And in some ways he now has a strength that the smart kids around him don't. He has grit. Because he knows it doesn't matter if he's failing. All he has to do is keep working and mm -hmm. he has to work harder than everyone around him. Mm -hmm. And then he will catch up and move past. And move past is the key. Right? And move past, I would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we see that in a lot of examples of 
people that that something comes difficult to them learning or or, or whatever that they're building if they push through if yeah. they do if they do the yeah. work they're building grit and yeah. um grit has has been shown to be probably the most successful indicator of future success yeah and so you may even consider it an asset because um you know i, I i've taught 20 i've taught martial arts for 25 years and i can tell you that people that are physically capable that have coordination that comes natural to them mm -hmm. always fail because they didn't build the because they're going to run into a point in in the specific martial arts that teach is very difficult it takes a huge it's a huge cognitive load building building um the coordination and when things come easy they don't build that grit and they just they tend to give up yeah and so to yeah. where somebody who who's built grit they're like okay this is hard that was hard no big deal i'm used to right. hard right right and, and they yeah. just they just go yeah. right <laughs> and so yeah yeah if they push through then it becomes an asset yeah which is awesome okay so um you you talk about convincing being a, the, a major right. factor right. Right. in this. So um, what, what do you mean by that? How would you convince? Well, kids don't know what's going to be on the other side of all the hard work, mm -hmm. necessarily. So in some ways, to me, when we're dealing with children, the parents and the teachers around them really have to be the ones that believe it yeah. and keep pushing and keep saying, I know it's hard but we're going to work on it and it's going to easy, be easier for you later. And I know you can do it. And mm -hmm. we have to believe past all of their own self doubts. Right. Expectations. Are you familiar with the study? There was a study done. I, I don't know what year it's old. Um, but they brought kids into at the beginning of the school year. They gave the teachers a series different. I don't know how many were in the study, but it was a pretty big number. And they gave each teacher the, child's IQ score at the beginning of the school and then at the end of the school year they matched up the IQ scores that they had given to the teachers to the grades at the end of the years and they and they correlated almost perfectly like at 90 95 percent correlation or something like the only problem was the IQ scores were lies they had wow randomly <laughs> given out the scores and uh, that's that's not a good you know thing trick. No, that's play. not a good. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure all, I would hope that all of the psychological, uh, you know, getting a study in place would prohibit this type of study. Right. But but it was done, and it and I and it I mean, it really shows a truth there that it's it's about yeah. expectation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is. I, it is. I I think as a child I was. Um, considered unintelligent when I was in kindergarten in the beginning of first grade. And I, I, I don't think I was, but I was very shy. And mm, yeah, that, that made the yeah. assumption. And I can remember a friend of mine going and, you know, showing the teacher was going over his math test. And she was just praise, you're so smart and this and that. And I was looking over his shoulder and I was doing the equations in my head. And for some reason, I spoke out and said, I can do that. And she laughed. And I, then, oh, wow. Yeah. And then I, I think it was just a 
knee-jerk reaction for her because she wasn't a mean person that I remember. But um, she was like, okay, and gave it to me, and I did it 100% score. And that was a deciding factor. I think that changed the course of my life, just that moment. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So, um, of course, it should be obvious, but I'm going to ask the question, what effect does putting them in dumbed-down classes have? <laughs> so... Well, yeah, pretty bad, pretty bad. My husband and I used to say if our oldest had, like if he had been in public school during the first several years, it would have destroyed him. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of parents have to answer the question, how can they combat the problems? Um, because the child's gonna come home with the message that they're just dumb and therefore they don't need to try. And that's really when they're going to start creating the self-fulfilling prophecy right so they're going to get the um, mess they're going to get the message and they're going right. to be set on a different trajectory as well yeah to where they'll never yeah. so for out. most kids i mean in extreme cases there there might be a place for a special ed classroom for extreme cases sure but for most kids with learning more mild learning disabilities add things like this um it, it's really, it's time for us to start expecting them to be able to overcome. Yes. Yeah. Expect. And, and to expect teachers to be trained and knowledgeable in, in the help that they need to give to that child or what special assistance they might need or what they can encourage the parents to do at home to help them because that child is going to have to work harder than all the other kids in the class. Mm -hmm. But it, they're just as smart as them. Right. And, but, but do you think they're going to have to work harder their entire life as, or their intelligence will, will, will develop? Um, I think intelligence does develop. Mm -hmm. um, there's only one subject that my son still struggles with mm -hmm. and that's spelling. Okay. And he, it doesn't affect his reading. It doesn't really affect the ideas behind his writing. Um, he's been reading past a 12th grade level since he was in sixth grade, even though he had dyslexia. Uh -huh. So in a lot of ways, he doesn't have to work that hard to learn anymore. Okay, so things are things been taking be a full college load of classes and just knocks off his homework quickly. So some it's things are, are becoming it's easy except for spelling. Okay. So he's still got yeah. something to he figure still out. Can't seem to master there. spelling yet. Yeah. But yeah. but other things have become automatic. Yes. And so yes. the the basic, the found the foundational skills of learning right. have right. been improved and it sounds like pretty dramatically. Yes. Yes, okay. quite dramatically. Yes. When he was in fifth grade, we thought he would never learn how to do long division. Ah, your expectation there, huh? Was yes. We had been trying so hard for so long. Like we were super frustrated and we're like, he's never gonna get it, but we never let him see that. Okay. That was like our own thing, you know, behind closed doors and we'd come back out every day and we'd do more long division. Okay, that's interesting. And now he's, he's on track with math. He's not ahead, mm -hmm. but he's on track for the typical, you know, when he's done with high school, he will have finished algebra two and trigonometry. Okay, so thinking about this, you know, when I know that IEPs are actually, and, and I know you're a homeschooler, but just can we relay this yeah, into, the, yeah. into, the, into the public system? Yeah. Um, 
but I know that IEPs are just becoming more and more popular and, and, and people are seeking out that. But in reality, that might, that's a pretty serious question of whether a, a, there should be an, an IEP because, because these factors are going to come in, that the expectations are going to be dropped in that. Would you agree with that? That parents should seriously consider not? <laughs> um. <laughs> In some ways, yes, yes, mm -hmm. um, because then it, it does tend to become ex an excuse. I know a lot of other parents who have kids with um, ADD or ADHD. Uh, yep. And um, our son has that, but we never told him because we weren't in school. We didn't have to tell him, and sure. no one else was going to tell him, right? Right. Um, he sort of self-realized it about about a year ago. So when he was 15, he was like, "Do I have that?" And mm -hmm. we're like, oh, well, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, these other kids that have known it from a young age are using it as, a, as, as an excuse. Oh, yeah. I've, I've it's an that. excuse for yeah. not working hard. It's an excuse for everything they do wrong. And it's, it's holding them back from trying hard. So I think in a lot of ways, the labels are not helpful mm -hmm. um, to our children unless there's a really specific therapy that you're going to use. Okay. That's... Which was sort of our, our decision in the end was that we weren't going to use drugs as a therapy, therefore we didn't need a medical diagnosis, and we had screened him out for other problems that would have okay. different, like we screened him out for auditory processing disorder. Okay. And things like that. So it, it's a fine line, and right. the concept behind an individualized education plan like just the concept of the education being tailored to where the child's at within each subject is really, I think it's a great concept, but that's not exactly what it ends up being. Right. From what I've seen, system. It, it can be more of a warehouse. Right, right. That's not exactly, because I, I think one of the things that helped my son was um, to let him explore his strengths when he was little. Mm-hmm. So he knew from a pretty young age that he knew a lot more chemistry than any other kids. So he had specific things he was good at to help his confidence. Exactly, right. And there's, um, there's research that shows very clearly that confidence is transferable. Yeah. So if they, yes. so it's, it's uh, partially a chemical state within the body. So if you can have something like that that you're confident right. in, then, um, with a little few tactics, you could transfer mm -hmm. that confidence to something else. Right, right. It kept him from really feeling like he was dumb. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Because he's always so, got that. I guess with an IEP, you have to weigh, you have to weigh the message you're sending your child to what the benefit to having those things that you're trying to get in place are really going to provide long term. Mm hmm. I, I think part of our problem is that we're so obsessed with what grade we're getting, even in elementary school, that we're not willing to just put in the extra time and effort over several years right. to wait for the fruit to come later. We, we want the D to be an A now. That's, that's an important point. And the reality is, is grades in elementary school are really don't matter much. Right? Nobody, no. will see it. Nobody will ever see them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's more about becoming a learner at, in those yeah. and figuring out yeah. during those those years but 
But yeah. of course, you know, it's easy. I can imagine as a parent, it's it's going to be easy to panic when your yes. sec second yes, grader is failing. Very easy. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and hard to keep those in mind that elementary school grades is just uh, a, a method to say, hey, we need to course correct or something, right? Right. Rather, rather than right. going to panic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, learning styles. Let's talk about learning styles a little bit. Okay. And, um, I know you have some opinions <laughs> on learning styles. Can you tell me about that? Well, learning styles are very big in the homeschooling world. So, one of the first things homeschoolers get thrown at is the idea that some people are auditory, and so you should give them information through their ears. Some people are kinesthetic. So they need to be moving to learn anything. And some people are visual, so they need to see everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I read all those things. And for the first several years, I thought there was some truth to it, but it seemed a little disjointed to me, especially because it didn't make sense to me that I had to buy a separate curriculum for every child <laughs> and teach them all differently, which really is a trend in that education. So it might be a money so trend. Right? I kind of started thinking, you know, it makes more sense if you just hit all of the modes of learning. Yeah. And later I read the cognitive science um, and why don't students like school um, by Daniel Willingham. Mm -hmm. He goes into the cognitive science that showed that really um, just because someone scored auditory on one of those tests and then they were presented with audio information or video information, it didn't actually affect their retention of the information. Right. And he goes into saying that um, it is good to get information in, but it, it's more dependent on what makes sense for that information set. Yep, yep, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I think, again, that's, we tend to think of the, the, the brain like a computer, like which way is it gonna work best and all that. and. That's a, another fallacy is the, is the yeah. learning style. Yeah. Um, the reality is I think humans have known for probably thousands of years that we combine all of those for learning. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the ancient Greek orators, are you familiar with the- uh, Yes. The, what do they call it? The, the memory palace, right? Where yeah. They were, they, yeah. Were, they were memorizing those long speeches by visualizing going through a, a palace or anything, anything yeah. spatial, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that we, we know that I, I think that all of the, all of those three connect at the spatial level. You know, we have yes. um, our proprioception and our interoception. That's obviously spatial. We're yeah. our body in, in space. Yeah. Our visual is spatial but even auditory we pick up where is the sound coming from and those connect through the spatial so yeah um and you mentioned the spelling I, 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 there's some theories about people who are trying to spell or that are poor spellers are trying to use their their auditory completely and it's not a good memory for spelling and when they switch to, to visual and it may not be that they're weak in visual it's just like they hadn't tried it that way you know right right yeah, and our modern spelling is a very, um, it's kind of a weird skill. It is. Because <laughs> there's all these rules, but we sort of made all the rules up to explain a very <laughs> complex system that doesn't really follow the rules. Right. So, and, 
and I've tried all the methods with my son. <laughs> yeah, haven't haven't hasn't clicked yet, huh? No, nothing's clicked quite yet. Oh, probably will at some point, right? So um, that brings us actually. So that's an uh, talking about abstractions. I know you've got some material mm -hmm. on fostering abstract thought. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, abstract thought is difficult and actually kids probably aren't even going to be capable of it until maybe 12 or so okay mm -hmm. so um a lot of times we push them from very young to try to come up with abstract ideas um but abstract ideas are actually based off of non-abstract ideas it's another layer Yes, it's another layer. And when we haven't put that layer in yet, and we're trying to get this certain kind of thought out of them, it's just not gonna work. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we sort of recognize in our society that we need that layer of abstract thought. We need to be deep thinkers, um, but we've sort of thrown out all the facts. We don't really want to focus on learning facts mm -hmm. or memorization or repetition anymore because, well, because it's been done in a pretty boring way sure for sure. a lot of years uh, yes and we want learning to be fun again <laughs> so we're throwing all that out and we're going to try to teach abstract thought but you can't skip the base layer because right. the brain has nothing to work with yeah you have to have something to abstract right 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 yeah interesting and then of course numbers and letters in that are abstractions so if those foundations aren't built I can see right awesome, and some numbers and letters are a good example of why we do need to memorize mm -hmm. things we can't learn to read if we don't know our, our letter sounds it's right. not going to happen we can't get to the next step mm -hmm. um, and it's really doing children a service a disservice to just try to skip memorizing the letters and go straight to trying to teach them how to read right right those again going back to those things those foundational skills not being built in it's then not automatic and they're, they're just going to struggle right, right? there's too right. much cognitive load going on yes yes right so yeah um again going back to the, the idea that you build the foundations by doing that step by step you're reducing cognitive cognitive load because the other parts of our brain take over is that correct yes yes and because well, I guess a couple reasons. One, there's only so much space in our working memory. Mm -hmm. So if we try to make them keep too much stuff in there, as soon as their brain thinks that we've given them a problem that's too hard for them to solve, it's going to drop the problem. Right, right. Yeah, there, there is. I, you They're going to enter stress. As they drop the problem, they'll also be entering a stress state and, and their brain will be like, this isn't, this isn't important, something's wrong because you're upset. Yes, yes, that's um, actually my experience. You know, I teach, I still do, like I said, I've been teaching Kung Fu for 25 years. It's a very, very complex Kung Fu. And I have had, this is very common for adults to say, stop, my brain hurts, I can't take it. They're, they're, <laughs> And they're just their body is just revolting and they 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 literally cannot take any more input because they're full yeah. you can tell that, yeah. that that um their working memory their ram i tell them is yep. 
it's full. It's not taken anymore. And if you and you keep going, yeah. that so that's an inter interesting point. If you create the aut automaticity that the subconscious is then doing that work, it's offloaded. Yes. You know, if we go to the computer yes. model, you've got a, a a graphics card. We're doing the work rather than the 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 CPU. <laughs> um, that's a good explanation. Good. Okay, good. So, so we should be memorizing things. We should be working on that, but, but in a funner way, is that what you said? Yes, because the minute a kid's bored, um, their, their brain's gonna yeah. shut down, shut it out. Yeah, boredom is a lack of so, dop dopamine and dopamine yeah, is what creates yeah. learning. Yeah, it, it need, they need to be engaged. Mm-hmm. So you've got strategies in your homeschool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of crazy things, especially when my kids were little. Like if, okay. if I had little boys learning words, I would put the words on sticky notes on the wall and give them a fly swatter and they would spot the word to recognize it okay. as I said it. Right. And you're getting some movement there too. Right. Right. Which just helps because they're not Little boys are not yet built to sit still at the ages of five and six and seven. No, they're not. It's not no. time yet. <laughs> so no. we didn't sit down very often while we were learning how to read. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. So that makes sense. So you're, um, you know, I actually have a, a student that uh, he's, he was, he's a little bit unusual. He's the most kinesthetic learner I've ever seen. I mean, to an extreme, he's Asperger's, um, but he would actually jog and read. And he's a very fast, good runner. And he would actually, <laughs> I would see him going down the road with, he still does it. He's in college, still wow. does it. And so the movement, I don't know if there's a connection there. Um, so I know you talk about the, the neo, neocortex and the brain mapping. Um, so going back to the computer model of the brain, we've, especially like with dyslexia, I know Broca's area, which is one of the language areas and the Wernick's area and the angular gyrus, I think I have that right, um, are all these language areas, areas. And so that we make this assumption that if this is the, you know, the, the area where we perceive language and this is the area that creates speech, that if those areas are not quite right, that that's going to be that way forever. Okay, and so um, it sounds like you you might disagree with that that with the, the brain mapping stuff. Well, <laughs> yes, um, and I guess some of that that was a book I read uh, by Jeff Hawkins, who was really he's a scientist who's trying to figure out how to create artificial intelligence. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so he's studying neuroscience, trying trying to figure out how to replicate it. Mm -hmm. And the, the deeper he dug into some of the studies and things, the more he realized that when we, when we do a scan, sure, maybe this part of our brain's activating, but then what about someone who's um, blind and yes. then we scan them and they're using the, the so-called vision part of their brain to hear. Right. right. And they can hear better than us because they're using more brain space. Mm -hmm. um, and then the really interesting studies were with um, blind people who um, 
they were creating some sort of device so that they could almost they could sort of see it wasn't a really clear yep. thing but they could I've, they could see some shadows and things and then i've seen the experiments they on checked that. their part of the brain it wasn't even the vision center oh really okay that they were using it wasn't yeah oh i didn't they know that did part they didn't default to going back to the vision center. I forget what it was. It might have been smell. It was something odd that like no one expected. Okay. And um, well, there's there's synesthesia, which is you know people perceive um, perceive uh, colors as sound or taste and things like that. So that would make right. sense. Right. And so he had pulled up some research that sort of showed that like even these areas, what we use, what part of the brain for doesn't matter as much as we think it does and right. that the brain itself is adaptable and, and it'll just use a different area if it needs to. Yes. And you can also see that in some traumatic brain injuries or stroke cases where people made just really amazing and unexpected recoveries, even though a, yeah. a large part of their brain wasn't functioning. The rest there, of their brain was able to relearn and take over a lot of functions. Yeah, I know that there are people that have literally half of a brain because they yeah. were, it was removed because of uh, epilepsy and they're functioning just fine with yeah. half, literally half of a brain. Yeah. They, they cut it out. So, so he uh, really got into how our brain actually, we think we're seeing things, but we're really just, we're receiving tiny basic bits of data, kind of like a computer does. Mm -hmm. And we can receive that anywhere in our brain. Yeah. And our brain will learn how to interpret that data. Right, right. Um, in, yeah, and I think that's another, which I'll be a, a bit controversial in that, in that in the dyslexia world, the assumption is, okay, if Broca's area is weak, you're always going to have this weakness. And I, I think that that's, like you said earlier, those expect, expectations are going to could have the potential of damaging somebody, right? Yeah. So, um, and that's something that's going on in, in the learning disabilities world and all that, and that I think we should raise our yeah. expectations. Yeah. I know some of the mapping stuff that they did, you're talking about, there's lots of, there's lots of experiments like that. There's some where they yeah. connect to the yeah. tongue, there's some where they connected to the back because it was a big area and they had little pinpricks and they could actually see yeah. you use that. Um, I'll give my own because I have uh, I've actually personally experienced it. So I lost one eye at um, 19, lost vision in it. Okay, and when you lose one eye, you don't have depth perception because depth perception is right. parallax. You need two eyes to parallax, and it was scary. You know, I was a waiter in a fancy restaurant and pouring wine, not so good. You know. <laughs> um, Driving was bad. I live in the country. The roads are pretty windy, and, and that was scary for me. And the fact that I do kung fu, punches being thrown at me all the time. So depth perception was important in my right, life. Right, right. <laughs> and one of the things that I really like to do, as, as you live in the country, I live in the country, is I like to do running back trail, back country running, you know, and it may be off trails where you're jumping up and down rocks and stuff. And I couldn't, I literally could not tell if jumping off a rock was three feet or 30 feet. And that's, it kind of hinders that a bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Over s several years, I one day realized that I had depth perception. I didn't know how I did it. I just 
figured out that, hey, I'm able to block punches, I'm able to jump off of rocks and know how far oh. down, down it is and all that. And it took me some time and I, I, um, I finally figured out that it, my, I'm processing perspective differently. And so, because the depth perception would go away if my head was perfectly still, but as long as it was moving, uh, I, it doesn't work on a computer screen because everything has the same perspective. But if I'm outdoors, right. then yeah. th things in the foreground move differently than things in the background. Right. And so, you know, everybody has this ability to process perspective, but when I move my head, I see the perspective of everything changing. Like everything, I, I'm, I'm massively aware of you know this is moving different than this than this than this and i can see and i i know the depth of everything i did not have that ability when i first lost my eye so my theory is is that i lost my left eye so therefore the right occipital lobe would no longer have a use and that's a huge part of our brain because there's no signal going right there. and so probably what happened is that remapped to have a stronger sense of perception and, and that gave me back my depth reception yeah and so um yeah it's it's more than just studies that i know this stuff yeah. Is, yeah. is is real yeah you know yeah. um and with the kung fu with it we'll talk about cross lateral motion here um I'll, I'll just save that for this but yeah it's um it's amazing and we need to realize more and more that our brain does this yeah and yeah. that we're, we're not stuck with the brain that we're born with, right? Right, right. <laughs> right. So um, I know you're big on movement in the brain. Yes. You tell yes. me about what, what, what are you, what about movement in the brain? Why is it important? Well, there's so many reasons it's important. Right, um, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to hear it from you. <laughs> first, first, I'll just say our brain uses a ton of oxygen. Yes. And I would say right now, the average kid in the United States is not getting enough oxygen to their brain mm -hmm. to develop to their full potential of intelligence. It's just not happening because mm -hmm. we're not moving much as a society. Right. Um, so we need oxygen. And, but the brain actually wires itself while we're moving. Yeah. Movements create neural connections. They create more pathways in our brain. Mm -hmm. and and neurogenesis as well yes so not growth, only neuroplasticity right, new, but right, new. new new growth in the brain yeah. is created by movement and it's it's why we have occupational therapists yep for one thing and um a lot of the things that kids with with learning difficulties need um have to do with movement yes they do um, so I think it's important for all kids. I don't think any of our kids are really moving enough. Um, well, of course. If, if especially if the child is, if there's something in their brain that's not working quite right, then we need to give it extra food, so to speak. And one of those foods is moving. And um, my son still needs to move. He needs to move hard, like four hours a day. Uh-huh. And of course it took us a while to realize just how much exercise he needed a day. Yeah. But I would say it's his primary therapy and we'll notice within two days if he doesn't have that. He'll start yeah. acting like he has ADD again. Yeah. Whereas the rest of the time no one else is gonna know. 
Right. Right. Yeah. I know. I've um, been, I injured a foot. I don't know if his brain just needs more oxygen or if it's still working on well, how old is and connecting extra stuff. He's 16. So he's still he, growing. So he's not to the brain, the neuron pruning stage yet. He's no. Right, he's right there. No. He's right moving into that stage. Yeah. So his brain is yeah. completely changing at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we 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 started with um, jujitsu uh -huh. with him. Good, good. And he had that for three hours a week. Uh huh. And we always knew that was part of his therapy, and we would never take it away for any mm -hmm. any problems we were having. You know, sometimes you want to take the sports away from your kids when you're having discipline problems or something. Well. That's not always the best option. <laughs> it may be the worst option. <laughs> it might be the worst option. Maybe you should assign the sport. Right. Um, <laughs> so we started with that, and then he just went through. He, he's a very excited, enthusiastic kid, so he tried a lot of different sports. And in the last couple of years, he landed on dancing and musical theater, and so he's in, like, a ballet company. So that's probably one of the top movement things you can do yeah and he just craves it he mm -hmm. craves it like nothing else why i in some ways we don't understand the connections between exactly what happens we can see some things happening in the brain but why they happen we have no idea with but, with, the, with the ballet or um just in general like why does moving affect our brain so much but i, I guess i i want to say like humans didn't used to view themselves as a mind and a body sure and and we really still have that disconnect in how we think yeah if we're struggling with academics we want to push more academics if if you look all the way back at like ancient greece um their physical programs were very rigorous yes like a whole section of their education was just being physically fit well, and in even, a way it was practical because they had to be ready to go to war. But in some ways, I think maybe they just understood that these things affect each other. Well, a, a couple of things there. Back then, that warriors were the scholars. Those yes, <laughs> yes, that's true. Were, were not true. sweat. The most intelligent people. And you, you look at, you know, some of the, the, the ancient philosophers and all that. They were warriors. And yeah. th th these yeah. two, these things, movement and this exercise and the physical fitness were very connected, even in our own history, you know, going back into what was going on in the playgrounds in the 50s and 60s and before until now, it's a very, very different thing. Right. So, now we have this idea of the dumb jock, which I don't even know how that got started. No, no. It makes no sense to me. That, and I see other kids... Um, in his ballet program and they're at the studio five hours a night practicing and they're still taking advanced classes at high school yeah. and getting A's in all of them and going into like medical school when they're done. Right. And it's just amazing. Like other people look at that and they're like, how did they have time? And it's like, well, their brain's so lit up. They don't need as much time to answer their questions. Yep. Yep. Um, of course, I'm a, a big fan of teaching Kung Fu to kids, but if I had a second choice, if I could not do Kung Fu, it would be ballet. And there, there's a couple of reasons for that. And this has my theory as to why that movement is, is one, if you think about like the robotic sciences, they've got some really amazing things going on in robotics right now. 
but compare those absolute things which we just think is astounding as a robot and compare it to what a human can do yeah it's nothing right yeah there is no comparison no. there's nothing um yeah. we so movement learning to coordinate new movements uh and especially complex mo movements is intense cognitive load yeah right what could you possibly yeah. have out there i mean just name one thing that has more cognitive load than ballet right well kung fu but that's it <laughs> <laughs> i mean seriously if you've ever yeah. have you yeah. tried it yourself you know how yes. hard it is. yes i take adult dance classes at the okay. studio mm -hmm. and um i think it's one of the best things adults can do to keep their minds fit absolutely and so it's yes, shown... it's very difficult. And we need mm -hmm. the teachers to be really understanding of our adult state of the brain because we cannot learn as quickly. Our, we hit our cognitive load much faster than the little kids that are doing ballet. Oh yeah, they're primed for it. But yeah. I've, what I yeah. have seen in, a, in adults is if they keep up on something like mm -hmm. that, their abilities to learn will be magnified over time and not that That's much time. True. So I think that you know, we assume that as adults we're slower. Yeah. Been told they are, but I, if we practice it and do our mental workouts, yeah, it may not be true. I've well, seen one it difference. Yeah, one difference a teacher noticed over the summer when there was no classes for either um, kids or adults was that the adults remembered all the moves that mm -hmm. they had learned the previous year, and the kids came back and had forgotten a lot. Hmm. Interesting. So that was one. Uh, big difference. Once we know it, it seems to just stay in more easily, even though none of us were practicing during the yeah. summer. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so going back to the ballet, and I, I'll tell you, so all dance is good um, yeah. for, for the brain. Yeah. Uh, I'm convinced ballet is the best. And the reason is, is it has a couple of uh, principles that um, are very similar to what we use in Kung Fu. The first is called centerline. We call centerline. I don't know what they call it in ballet, but they do it. I've seen it, right? <laughs> Um, yeah. And that's that has to do with posture. Um, uh, so your posture is perfectly straight, and of course, all your mm -hmm. movements are are around that. Then, um, and holding that center line uh, is takes a lot of, of processing. Balancing yeah. takes a lot of processing. Yeah. As a matter of fact, in kung fu, one of the things the primary things that we do is we upset the person's brain by taking them off balance. In first the most the most thing because then all of the automa autonomic processes put all of the brain's processing into trying to get their balance back which means they're completely defenseless they have they cannot okay. do yeah. anything because the whole yeah. brain is taken over by trying to regain balance yeah okay and so in kung fu we do that to our opponent but we also train our own to have this amazing balance okay Ballet is doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Okay. The, and because it is, the other reason is it is a very precision dance to where yes. other dance forms, you're allowed to stylize it. Right. You're putting, right. <laughs> you're putting your own flair in that. Or we could say you're, you're doing it your way and you're not doing quite the precision that you would in ballet. Yeah. And there's where your difference is in, in different dance, in between ballet and the other dance. They're all good. Right, right. But there's a certain level of like minute motor control that is demanded in ballet. 
way beyond in yeah. ballet than yeah. the other dance forms. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. then you get into the upper level ballet, you know, the real, the, the, um, the real pros, and then they're incorporating the feeling of their emotions into, into that also. And that's right. Also right. Is, they're acting while they do all those amazing things. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So how, yeah. how much cognitive load is that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, they yeah. are, they're, they're acting. Exactly. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. All right. So, um, yeah, as you can see, I might be a big proponent of movement. <laughs> <laughs>
the same cognitive load that you might be using with singing or talking or anything, you know, counting backwards or whatever. So they did, they did experiments with, and this is all done in older adults because what they're trying to do is prevent falls and stuff like that. And so they did walking exercises and they measured the pace of the walk and uh, the consistency of the walk and then applied a cognitive load, like, you know, count backwards by twos from a hundred or something, whatever, whatever, okay. whatever yeah. it was. And it was very clear that when they, uh, they were forced to do an additional cognitive load, that the walking would become slower or more erratic or whatever. So they're proving that the two things are connected. Yeah. That we're using, yeah. we're using the same parts of the brain, at least, at least over yes. that, at least over yeah. that, right? Yeah. And so it's interesting that is it your son that does that singing while yeah. surfing, yeah. which is if you go back to all of our all of our playground games like you know jumping right. rope, what do girls mm -hmm. do? Jumping rope, right? Yeah. Rhymes, yeah. singing. Yeah. yeah. All of all of those things. There it is, right? That's, yeah. That's extreme cognitive load. Yeah. For a lot of years, you know, I'd read about some of these things, and I just realized so much of it's just natural to children, and I would yeah. just. When we, we didn't have a big yard, I would just drive to a park every morning and let them loose for half an hour. And then we'd go home and do our studies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did the same and, thing. And in the a lot of kids need that. <laughs> they're not going to sit still at a desk if they haven't had. And there's something about the outdoor, um, the way outdoors uh, reacts with our senses. It's just, it's such a richer environment. Exactly We're what I was going to say. getting so much more stimulation and sensory practice, I guess you could say, uh -huh. sensory yeah. input. And so that plays another part in all of this. It does. There were experiments where they mapped the brain with people on a treadmill versus people running outside. And the, um, the treadmill people, sorry to say, are kind of lulled into just very <laughs> low levels of brain activity versus yeah. running versus running outside yeah. which is probably where i you know i said i i used to love running off trail and in uh, unusual yeah. environments because you do have so much sensory i have seen that dramatically in especially a lot of kids with specific learning disabilities and with asperger's or various forms of autism that when they get an exercise like what you were talking about the source yeah. the balance and then they just latch on to it yeah, they, they know it's yeah. good. They know it's yeah. good. They know they need it. Yeah, they do. Yeah. We've seen that, which will segue into a question you about cross-lateral mo movement, the importance of that. Do you think that that <laughs> yeah. is the actual cross-lateral motion is, is, is it? Yes, yes, actually that's cross-lateral motion. I used um, several exercises or techniques, I guess, of cross-lateral motion um, with my oldest son when he was struggling with dyslexia. Um, and I, I do believe it helped quite a bit. Um, there's a special ed teacher who ended up homeschooling her own son because okay. he had a lot of dyslexia and learning disabilities. And so she developed this whole program of things you could do in your own home, uh -huh. which is great because not every parent has the money um, for the cost of some of these therapies, especially if it's a child who's sort of on the edge. Right. You know, yeah. That's maybe the they're found. smart enough to make up for it. Maybe they're not going to get a diagnosis because they just function a little bit too well. Yeah. 
But it yeah. makes sense, you know, so we're, we're focusing on kids with specific learning disabilities and problems and like that. But I think that that should make it pretty obvious that if they need it, that yeah. we all do, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did these things called figure eights. And, and actually, I didn't pick on that one son. I was just like, oh, we're all doing this. And we would all do the cross lateral movements and motions. I'm familiar with figure eights. Yeah. yeah and, and that way, he didn't feel picked on either. Nothing was mm -hmm. wrong with him because he needed to do these things. We were all just making our brain stronger. Do you do the figure eights and then draw a letter and that's that yeah and, and some of them were just basic exercises like touch your elbow to your knee cross, or let's cross see how fast we can crawl around the house yeah yeah so um where did that yeah that stuff's really pop <laughs> really popular i'm familiar with all that and um who was that was that diane craft that originally diane craft yeah yeah she was doing I don't, i'm not sure if she's the originator of that but it's also popular but I know she was one of the early she ones. She created a program based off a lot of the stuff she studied in college for special ed. Okay. And then, um, but now you can just, yeah, I mean, you can find even just free YouTube videos. Oh, it's all over YouTube. Yeah. There's thousands and thousands of them. Yeah. So, and, but if you go back again, that's stuff children naturally do if they have sort of free space and free time. They do. And that going back to the outdoor is so if they're outdoor, they're climbing trees. The, mm -hmm. it's going to be cross-lateral and it's going to be problem solving right yeah yeah F figuring out how to get your body up that tree or around the gymnasium yeah. or whatever so the cross-lateral is actually how we got into this um so in in the kung fu we do i mean there it's just cross-lateral everything and what's mm -hmm. what's interesting about what is very unique about what we do in the kung fu is it rather than rather than like the diane craft stuff which is cross lateral usually with one limb or maybe sometimes a little bit too with like the the um the cross crawls and that sort of thing a little just, yeah a little bit yeah um yeah more it's just one it's mostly one yeah we're, we're yeah. doing we're doing three three limbs at a time and uh -huh. a lot of our motions and um you know with our adult or even with all of our kung students we don't introduce with three because it blows your mind and you just want to <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. very very <laughs> difficult um but we do have processes of of course we use the concept of kaizen of, of very small changes and building it up to it and you know so just being a good teacher uh, and that and i'm sorry i'm taking over this conversation <laughs> we're, okay. we're, we're, no. we're, we're on a subject that is just dear to me right <laughs> Um, but one of the motions we call cover outs is, and, and that's just getting away from your opponent after something has happened. But there's three, there's three cross lateral motions in, in that. And it just is massive cognitive load to be able to do it. It takes us a long time to learn to teach somebody to do it because we have to go so step by step. But the point I was getting at is that all the dyslexic kids, all the ADHD kids, all the Asperger's kids, once we teach them that, and the additionally, not only is it cross-lateral, but we're teaching eye stability at the same time. Yeah. My, my grandmaster yeah. used to say, it's your conning tower. If your conning tower is all over, you don't know how to command the ship, right? And yeah. so the eye stability of that is also another, is an additional skill. So we would teach the eye st stability in addition to all these cross-lateral motions in, our, in, in what are just normal kung fu we were just doing this you know this is just to us 30 years ago this was just kung fu <laughs> right right 
and and what happened was a school teacher not a school teacher a school principal brought his daughter in he saw what we were doing and then he sent every kid from the entire elementary school <laughs> that had learning disabilities to us to you to that's us. awesome we had literally in a classroom of 50 kids all with dyslexia adhd and all that and if that was not a um a, a, a laboratory i don't know what it was <laughs> <laughs> um so we observed this and you know we're, we're like why are you doing this he's like it's because of your cross lateral motion and that's where i started to study it and that's where yeah. i started because yeah. i could see the change in these kids over and over and that was 20 years ago i've been studying this ever since but the thing that is particular about it is those kids once they get like what we are cover outs in that man they just they know it's good for them they won't stop doing it until they get it in built-in automatic yeah so pretty amazing pretty amazing so um yeah in uh, i'm going to quote you from your blog it says <laughs> the choice is ours get busy moving with our kids or let the neurons die <laughs> all right yeah that's one of those lines that i almost deleted and then i was like nope no no i'm just gonna leave it leave it i'm glad yeah. you <laughs> i'm glad you that did that really right. is what happens you're right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And you know, and the, the, mo a lot of the research in this area is in is in the elderly, and they know that if they've done this, if is if, if we've done this throughout our life, that um, you know things like Al Alzheimer's and these degenerative diseases, mm -hmm. it delays the onset of those. If we're going to get them yeah. at all, yeah. having more neurons, more white matter, denser denser gray matter yeah. delays that onset yeah. this is this is well known yeah so you're absolutely right absolutely right and i'm glad you posted that <laughs> <laughs> um so we shut you know you've got one um blog on there should we talk about just brief let's not go too deep in this but talking about the cerebrum brain derived neurotrophic factor i should say neurotrophic factor <laughs> white matter and making the brain bigger so you're talking about just jumping for those things and that uh, i know that jumping oh, jumping yeah <laughs> i know that jumping is in a lot of the diane Kranz, craft stuff yeah. where she's having jumping and counting at the same time or jump some type of mental activity yeah. while, while jumping yeah you do that yeah we and we just we just jump in our house all the time <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it started really with some of those things, but even now, um, you know, we'll, we'll jumping jack spelling words, right. for example, <clears throat> and it sort of turns it into a chant. And in some ways, it's just, you're doing two things at the same time. So mm -hmm. you're helping increase your cognitive load, but you're also getting oxygen to the brain. Yeah, yeah. And you're also, you know, doing all this cross wiring. Um, yeah, jumping. If we just jumped every day for a few hours, we'd all be super, super mm -hmm. smart. <laughs> well, especially if you're and, doing um, it in combination like you are. I had those little mini trampolines in my house. Yeah. Especially because yeah. I used to live, I used to live up north where it'd be snowy and yucky weather. Uh -huh. And we went through, we broke like four of those because our uh -huh. kids jump so much on those little mini trampolines. Good for you. Um, 
So if it's just one thing that a person can take away is just get your kids jumping. Mm -hmm. Jumping and maybe counting at the same time or counting backwards. Yeah, or, yeah, or anything. If they need to memorize some facts for school, just have them jump while they do it. And A, that makes it more interesting to them mm -hmm. um, because they don't get to do that in school. It's suddenly novel, but also um, they need, they, they're, they're going to crave movement. You know, uh -huh. their bodies really just do crave movement. And so in that way, it's going to be more fun for them. And so just reciting things or quizzing on things while you're jumping, mm -hmm. um, it's a great, it's a great way to strengthen the brain and it's sure. a great therapy. Yeah, really a simple, simple. Right. Um, so what is the first thing children need in order to be ready to learn? To be relaxed. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's okay. because their lower brain is concerned with safety and survival. Yep. And this part of the brain is going to block information from entering their higher brain um, if it doesn't feel safe. Their amygdala is lit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first thing they need is to feel safe. And, and you can tell if they feel that way because it'll manifest as them being just sort of happy and comfortable. Okay. And so... Like even if, uh, for a parent, if their child comes home from school in, in a stress, stressed state, um, the first thing they have to do is fix that. Yes. They have to pull them out of the stressed state, get them to where they're happy and relaxed, whatever it is they need. Mm -hmm. They you, might need you... to talk about something that happened. They might need to get some exercise and move a bit. They might need food, okay. whatever right. they need till they're mm -hmm. happy and relaxed. Then they're gonna be able to actually learn from the homework they're doing. Otherwise, they're just going through motions and they're not really gonna be retaining anything. Right, yeah, this is something we stress heavily. We talk about um, self-confidence as being the first thing. And the reason is, 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 is having confidence keeps you out of those stressed right. states. Right, right, right. yeah. Um, it's such a big deal with, um, you know, we've got some data we put together looking at um, submissions and just uh, thousands, you know, I think, I don't know what my data set was, but it was like maybe 40,000 submissions. And it was very obvious that somewhere that, because we, we asked questions that were, we were not specifically asking if the kids were nervous or anxious or anything like that, but we were asking mm -hmm. questions that would indicate that they probably are. Right. Had right. enough things that were saying they are, then they're like, yeah. they are. And then we asked, are, is your child, you know, anxious or low self? Well, then the numbers that signified that they were of the things that were not direct questions were much higher than when the, the answers that said, yes, they're, they're anxious. So parents weren't recognizing it as much mm -hmm. as it was. Yeah. Um, and so we were the same thing, like in the learning success system, that's the first thing is, is developing confidence and using, there are other things like you mentioned movement. Yeah. Um, so going back to the ballet and the kung fu, um, have you seen the Amy Cuddy's stuff on power posing and that? A yeah. yeah, yeah, I've seen a couple of those. Really yeah. yeah, one of the most popular TED talks. And yeah. so, um, she's not the only one. There's a lot of stuff around posture and our physiology yeah. and how that can change because it's a it's a loop, right? Right. Um, so we can change that anxious feeling in our state. Yeah. But if a kid is in um, an anxious 
if they're in anxiety, their brains, their prefrontal cortex shut down. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. not learning. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, what should parents who have children struggling, and, and going back to that, if, if a kid is, is struggling in learning, they don't want anyone to find out, so they're automatically anxious. Right, right. They don't feel safe, yeah. which is what you said. Yeah. They don't feel yeah. safe. Right. Yeah. So it's an, it's an automatic. That's, yeah. It's going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. What should parents who have children struggling with academics focus on at home? We have a couple steps here. First, make sure they're getting enough movement and exercise. Mm -hmm. And actually, since we're assuming right now they have some anxiety because they're struggling with learning, mm -hmm. exercise is a great therapy to relieve anxiety. Yep. So you're, you're doing two things. You're getting enough oxygen and blood flow to the brain. You're encouraging it to build matter and neurons and just grow. <laughs> yeah. And you're dealing with the anxiety. Uh, second, check their diet. Um, maybe add in a few nutritionally dense foods. You can Google brain foods, especially omega-3s. Figure yeah. out how to make sure they're getting some. There are ways other than fish. <laughs> yeah. And I don't encourage people to go down too many dietary rabbit holes because as a food, as a culture, we have this really weird relationship with food. Yep. But sometimes there are huge things you can do, whether it's adding or taking something away sometimes there's going to be a little key you can unlock there and it's and it's a lot of personal people are different so you're gonna... right right it's troubleshooting yeah really. right. Uh, and third make sure they feel loved so we tend to take for granted that our kids know they love us but the brain actually craves love and so if we're playing with them cuddling with them reading to them just make sure because if they're in a state of anxiety for six hours every day at school then they need extra mm -hmm. they need extra just hands-on support at home from you right right and that's going to raise oxytocin levels which is going to right right yeah. and yes that's going to get the neurotransmitters yeah firing sure and, and, the dopamine and all those things that need to be in the right place too which also in turn is going to dial their anxiety down again sure yeah, right. Um, you, you can think of it this way. If, if you're not getting enough oxygen to the brain, it doesn't matter how many times a child practices their math facts, they aren't going to remember them because the brain doesn't have the materials it needs to form the new path okay. or, or neural connection. Yeah. So first focus on these foundations that are often the missing link when a child struggles with academics. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. What about smart children? <laughs> I'm not to say, yeah. I, I think that they're all smart, generally. They are. They are all smart, but we... But, but those that are labeled some as smart. Yes. Okay. So, yes. More... That's a better way to say it. Those that are labeled as smart. Those that are labeled as smart. What do you do with them to make sure they... Yeah. And I, I worry about this more sometimes than the kids with learning disabilities because we're not paying attention to what these kids need. Um, smart kids are in danger of developing a fixed mindset. Oh, yes. Okay. Where they think everything should come easy. 
they get used to things being easy. And then at whatever point things become hard, they think they're not smart enough and quit. Mm -hmm. uh, it might not happen until medical school, but I've heard countless stories of this where a kid like graduated as a valedictorian, thought he was gonna go to medical school, got to college, had one clad hard, hard class, changed their major. Yeah. I, I remember the moment I learned this, it was in a podcast listening to Carol Dweck, who was, I think, the originator of these ideas. Yeah, so uh, they need to be regularly pushed past their comfort zone. And a lot of times the parents are going to be the ones that have to do that. The school's not necessarily going to say anything about them. They're not a problem. They're fine. They're getting straight A's. They're not necessarily going to put them in an advanced class. Um, some schools might. What are you going to do to push them? The advanced class might not even push them. Right. I like to think about a few things that aren't just sort of plain academics to push them. One is creativity. Okay. Um, the other is physical. Mm -hmm. Make them go do something that's physically hard, like Kung Fu or ballet, yep. because that requires that that's hard for every kid. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a third idea. <laughs> um, my smart kid, I make him write a lot of stories. For creativity, right? Right, mm -hmm. right. Because when you're when you're creating, then you're gonna pull on all that information and be practicing connecting it in new ways. And it's just a higher it's a higher level skill, but it's also something you can't just put the right answer down and be done with in two seconds. Right. right. You and have to actually go ahead and use that brain of yours. And the they brain. need to use their brains just like the other kids. And we're not necessarily helping them use them all the way when they're just skimming through school the entire time. Yeah. And human brains want to be lazy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We do like to avoid thought. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I can see how important that is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So we we talked about memory memorization and that, but let's say what role does memory play in the learning process? Yeah, memories. It's just so misunderstood right now. I think in our culture, um, it's essential to the learning process. In many ways, we don't really know something until it's in our memory banks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, just even this conversation is an, an example of that. We couldn't sit here and have this conversation if we hadn't studied and learned all these things for however many years. Right, right. right. You can't make the connections, um, yeah. When we, I, I like thinking about how when we memorize something, it actually becomes a physical part of who we are. It becomes a part of our body. Our brain actually builds a road to the information inside of us. I, I use the phrase when I'm teaching my students I said, do you want to rent that or you want to own it? <laughs> yes, I like that. I like that. Yeah. So without memory, we can't get very far. Mm -hmm. And that's because we can only hold a very limited amount of information in our working memory. And so we rely on our long term memory to give us more tools and toys to play with because we can pull up concepts and information and use it in our working memory and then dump it back out. Mm -hmm. So if we right. don't have those memory banks full, we just have a lot less stuff to play with in our brains. 
Yeah, there's there's uh, stuff on you know on sleep and that our brain is actually far more active when we sleep, and that's what it's doing. Yes. Yeah. It's searching it's for all, all these weird connections, and it's yeah. and, and it appears to be because we our dreams, you know, can be really weird. Like it's like that's trying that out. It's trying no, new connections yeah. and all that, yeah. and it's actually more activity than when we're awake. So it might be important, <laughs> right? Yeah, it might be. Just might be. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, a lot of what is pushed on kids is when they're struggling is like more academics. Yeah. Right? Can we do that? Does that work? Going to work? Can we put, give them more more workbooks? Um, well, I... well, not exactly. <laughs> that's that's my answer. Not exactly. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you can come right out and say no. <laughs> it's fine with me. <laughs> uh, usually, if a child's having trouble with academics, there's something going on that's an underlying cause, and it's not a lack of workbooks. That's never mm -hmm. your underlying cause. Right? Most kids are getting a lot of practice with the academic skills they need. So if we're seeing them falling behind, the problem may be their brain needs something else in order to be able to form the connections that it should be forming. Mm -hmm. It could be a lack of physical building materials, such as oxygen, omega-3 fats, sure. or the endorphins that keep our brain happy and healthy. Mm -hmm. Dopamine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I recommend actually focusing on those building blocks first. Mm -hmm. Give the brain all the materials it needs. Right, the building blocks. Yeah, without, I mean, that makes sense. Without that, forget it. And then, I, you if know, you I know- If you know your child has all those things in place, then you can just give them some more drills. Um, but I just want to point out that um, if you're creating an environment where the drills are creating stress- Yes. Uh, your, their lower brain's just going to shut the information out again, and the now drilling going, will be effective. Now they're going into that fight-or-flight mode. So we still have to be creative and find ways to drill our child that they think are fun. Mm -hmm. I tell you, we, we used to, going back to the King Kung Fu analogy, so, you know, you want to drill the basics a lot, and we would do, like, say, a snap kick. It's a basic forward kick, right? And we would literally, we'd say, okay, we're gonna practice our snap kicks and get to the point we'd stop before they got bored and we're gonna go, okay, now we're gonna practice our snap kicks facing the other direction. And we'd turn around <laughs> and do it. And then we're gonna go, okay, now we're gonna practice them facing to the right and the left. And then like, okay, let's all form a circle and we'll face that, we'll practice them facing in the center of the circle and now face the out and you get the point yeah we're doing yeah. the exact same thing over and over and we could yeah. keep going an entire hour it's just amazing though <laughs> isn't it that, yeah. that one little shift yeah yeah that one little introduction of a new novelty yep. it wakes their brain back up and it keeps them interested yeah it it's really not is. really as hard to make it interesting as it's not i think i think we think it's hard but it's not once you just start doing it Oh, we would laugh about it, about how yeah. easy, how, when we figured this out, about how easy it really is. Yeah. It's amazingly yeah. easy. Um, so let's talk about, you know, we've talked about this also, but will your slow kid always struggle? Well, the more a child learns, the easier learning becomes. Our brains actually get better at learning. As we retain many facts from a subject, we get better at doing more complicated things with those facts. Mm -hmm. 
Um, however, kids who are not struggling are also practicing learning and will be getting better. So whether they're gonna catch up to their peers, that throws another wrench in. For a child that is behind to catch up to their peers, they have to do more and learn more to get more information in their brains because they're not starting from the same place. Mm -hmm. uh, but once they catch up, a child who struggles, if they work hard and they catch up in a supporting, loving environment, because they're not going to catch up without that yeah, supporting that makes... environment in place that's nurturing and making sure they have all those pieces they need, um, they can't catch up. And now yeah, it might faster. depend on the cause. Some kids may have lifelong struggles that are more severe, but in truth, we don't really know how much they will struggle later. All we can do is give them everything they need and then see what happens. And we're not doing that for the vast majority of children. We're not giving them all the building blocks they need and then seeing what happens. We're just shutting them down where they are. Right, going back to that old, I, the first yeah. thing we touched on we make an assumption of intelligence. Yeah. This is where it is. And yeah. if you keep with that assumption, then there you are, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, going over, will my smart kid ever be challenged? <laughs> we've, we've touched on these, but yeah, but um, we've touched on how you, how you challenge your kid with creativity. And that's, you know, that's- Yeah, and then just being grateful when they do get challenged. Maybe in eighth grade, it gets hard for them. Maybe it happens before medical school. The parents' viewpoint at that sh point should be to embrace the challenge, encourage your smart kid, tell them, yeah, this stuff is really hard. It makes perfect sense that you're struggling, but I know that if you just work hard at it, it's gonna get easier and you can figure it out. You'll be so fine. So they, they, need, they need you to walk them through the process of the growth mindset. Because it's new to them. Yeah. It's new, yeah. That, yeah, that makes sense. If they've, I, I see why where your concerns are. You said early on that you're almost more concerned with the smart children. That without developing that growth mindset, they could yeah. run into big trouble. And I've seen that myself. Yeah. 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 Very, very good point. How do we make information sticky? <laughs> So I turn, I use this term quite a bit on my blog, sticky, because uh -huh. uh, we want the stuff they're learning to stay in there. We want it to be sticky. So I like to think of our complex neural networks as like a spider web. And when our child encounters new information, the brain needs to know where to put it. Which web should this information be sticking to? Okay. And so it needs to know how the new information relates two things the child already knows. Okay. And this sounds basic, but it's actually something I think we inadvertently skip a lot of times. We, we skip the step where we connect things that they already know to new things. Okay. And the more things a child already knows and understands, then the easier it is for the new information to find multiple places to stick. But this is also why we wanna go through and show them patterns and Going connection the, between the, subjects on purpose so that and developing a little abstract. bit of information is stuck to three spider web wires instead of just one. Mm -hmm. And if we don't do that, we might just be fleeing it into a, an empty spot and it's just going to fall right out. It's not going to stay in their brain at all because they don't have anywhere to put it. 
their brain doesn't know what to do with it. You have no, yeah, yeah. The, the, goes the, There's no framework. The, the neurons that, that wire together, fire together, right? If there's more neural networks yeah. connecting yeah. to that, then, then it becomes sticky. Yeah. I, I get it, right? Um, and so that creates kind of the, the whole brain then becomes sticky. Right, right. So we can make the whole brain sticky because as we're building all this web, it gets thicker and there's more strands overlapping and connecting. And soon there's so, inf so much information there that new information is going to stick fairly easily, even if it's just sort of flung, it's going to, it's going to find several places where it can just go. And that's why in, in some ways adults do learn more easily. Right, because our brain's always going this. We have a lot of places to just tuck it into. Yeah, the brain's yeah. always saying this is like this in this way or like like this. Yeah, and that's probably why learning gets easier the more we learn. Our brain just gets so sticky. That's that's very nice, very beautiful thought. I like that. Yeah, which is very contrary to a lot of beliefs that you know, thinking about our brain having a finite amount of storage area and mm. yeah, you roll your eyes. <laughs> this is a podcast. So I'm going to say she just rolled her eyes <laughs> for, good re for good reason. Um, because how many people, you know, you hear that with older adults all the time, you know, I'm running out of space. They have this idea that it's, and if you really, I think you've pointed out in your blog that the, the, the I don't know, billions and, of neurons we have and then each one of those is connected i don't know what the numbers are as far as how many connections they're big. <laughs> are, yeah bigger than we can yeah. imagine right yes <laughs> yes bigger than we can imagine yeah yeah wow so what do you what do you have when a child just is lazy in their thinking and they don't want to they don't want to think yeah um well thinking is hard <laughs> and yep. i think we forget that and um <clears throat> the way we have our culture set up, we're expecting our kids to think for a lot, a large part of the day. Mm -hmm. We're expecting them to think. Um, although people are curious, we don't necessarily like working hard. So do you, do you think that <laughs> the ability to think for long periods is a skill that has to be built then? Um, I think children will think for long periods if they can succeed. Okay. And if there's a problem to solve, because we like to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And we can see that just with the human fascination for puzzles and games. Those are all problem solving. But if we think that a problem's too hard, we're not going to want to think about it. And answers are not interesting. Right. So um, if we're just expecting them to think about answers, that's not interesting by itself. Okay. So I really like to separate learning facts and skills from learning content because okay. they should get different strategies. Learning facts and skills, you should be memorizing things with fun things, songs, jumping jack drills, whatever you need to do to make it fun. Because the facts and right. are inherently learning boring. Learning content, it's great to ask a child a question and then don't give them the answer right away. Mm -hmm. But when you do that, you want to make sure they actually have some pieces of information in their brain already so that they could get to the answer. Because if you're always presenting questions that they can't ask, answer yet because you didn't give them the tools, 
-hmm. they're not going to like questions anymore and they're going to stop answering and we actually see a pattern like that uh through the grades i believe in school okay for fewer and fewer children will raise their hands to answer a question as, as they go up in grade levels because the training is we're training them we're training them that we're going to ask something that's actually too hard okay so there should be a there a level of hardness an attainable challenge right so slightly and, outs outside of their comfort right right and adults are like this too we mm -hmm. do things that are just a little bit tricky for us mm -hmm. we don't do things that we feel are completely out of our current knowledge or abilities we push right. ourselves just a little bit farther as we learn new things yeah there's a let's talk about that that concept of being just outside of that zone, of then getting into you know what's called the state of flow or some people right. call it the zone yeah. or whatever yeah. Lower the zone. Yep. yeah and so if you can get that mix right toward you're just a little little harder than we've done before just a little out yeah then that that gets that flow state going and you, you, you find that yeah. in, you know, it, it definitely happens in martial arts. I was talking to somebody the other day about that in motorcycle. Why, that's why uh, motorcycle riders like it so much because they're pushing right to that limit of which is cognitive. Yeah, right to the edge. Right to the edge. Yeah. And, and, and there's some, uh, some risk involved at that edge level, you know. <laughs> um, and there's risk in learning too. I mean, there's, depending on your growth mindset the risk is you know right or not right if they yeah. don't have a good growth mindset there's yeah still risk either way so yeah. interesting um so how should a parent know when the child is just being lazy because you hear that a lot like you know not working up to their their potential atten yeah there it is <laughs> their potential <laughs> this perceived potential that the parents are sure what, they what? have what what exactly is potential <laughs> it's a thing yeah. it's a concrete thing right no <laughs> yeah yeah this is just such a common question um parents wondering if they're laser if they actually have a problem mm -hmm. um but i don't think kids are are lazy actually very often really um in general they have a lot of energy and they want to be busy doing things right it's not logical to the, think the problem is often not laziness but the brain crying out for something else it needs something other than homework okay it's their brain really needs to move most of the time sometimes they might be hungry right they might need to go outside and get actual sensory stimuli from the real world so that really and should while be their brains craving this thing it's just the brain's just not interested in letting them do their math facts while the brain's like okay it's been hours and hours since you gave me these other things, I need them now. And it just sort of sort of shuts them down. Mm -hmm. um, and you just see it for many kids doing homeworks much easier if they've been playing hard for a while. Right. Getting out the physical energy just puts their brain in the state where it's ready to sit down and let them think. Um, but I would also steer away from diagnosing something like laziness with academic work. If a child's lazy, look to what they do in their free time. Chores you assign them to complete and extracurricular activities. If you see laziness in everyday life, then maybe they are just being lazy with their schoolwork. Okay. 
However, I would steer clear of accusing them of being lazy. I wouldn't say to the child, you're just being lazy, you know, because of this worksheet. You're creating <laughs> I, that. I, I cure laziness with physical work. Okay. And, and I think part of the problem with laziness is just that they actually need to move more again. Um, so I give them chores. Yeah. If I think it's a character issue, I will give them more chores to do. And that will be based off usually whether or not they're doing what they are already assigned as far as chores goes well. Because okay. chores, you can see. You cannot actually see in your child's brain. Mm -hmm. You might think you know if they're just being lazy, but there might be more complicated things going on in their brain that you're not aware of. Whereas you can see if they just, you know, took one swipe on the table instead of wiping the whole thing down. <laughs> Okay, so then at that point, it's a character. Right, it's a character yeah. issue, and I find it does overflow. So you just deal with it with something visible that you can measure. Okay, you can measure how well they cleaned the table. And you fix it that way, and it will carry over into how they apply themselves to their schoolwork. That's really smart. I never, that's great. Because it can be lazy. It, it is possible. <laughs> yes, yes. Some yeah. kids are lazy, but you'll see it in other places. It won't just be in their academic work. Uh-huh. So I think right. that's a good way of figuring out if it's just laziness or if they're having a, a struggle with their brain. Right. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's one of the, the ways that, like, ADHD is diagnosed. Are they that way everywhere, right? Yeah. Do they? Yeah. And if not, it's not ADHD, right? Right, right. Yeah. So interesting. Okay, great. We have covered a tremendous amount. It's been really interesting for me. I hope that uh, parents get a lot out of this. I'm sure they will. Yeah. This is really, yeah. really critical stuff. Um, is there anything else that we should bring up? Have we missed on anything I, I important? Just, I guess I just want to stress that we need to pay attention to their stress levels and that mm -hmm. Stress doesn't necessarily manifest the same way in kids. And we're talking and, about bad stress. Right. Kids are supposed to be happy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's their natural state. Sure. And um, we need to work harder to notice when something's off and help them work through it and find ways to relieve their stress so that they can be in the sort of default state of being happy and relaxed. Mm -hmm. and not in a default state of feeling like they're dumb or being anxious over every grade they get. Right. Makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Okay. So um, parents want to learn more from you. So your blog, jumpintogenius.com. Jumpintogenius.com. Yep. Dot com. Yep. Uh, is that where people should go? I know that, you're on, on Medium as well. I'm, I am on Medium. I would say um, I write about more topics on Medium. Okay. And sometimes I write directly just to parents versus necessarily towards homeschoolers okay. on Medium. So parents might want to go ahead and follow me on Medium. Okay. Um, and that's at, what's it? That's at Marla Swast. That's my actual name. Okay, I will put that link in there because it's because that's going to be hard to spell for, for tough spellers. <laughs> for those that don't have spelling down. 
I've, I've had to look at your last name several times because it took me a while. Yes, yes. <laughs> so um, we'll put that, we'll put those links okay. uh, below. Okay, this has uh, been wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Learning Success Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We also hope you have learned something useful, something that you can take back and improve your life with today. If you would like to say thank you, the best way for you to do that is to share this podcast with a friend. Help us help others along this journey. And if you haven't already, please rate and comment on the podcast. Every rating helps us and helps this podcast get out to more people. We appreciate it and we appreciate you. Thank you again and make today a great day. No one should have to live with a learning difficulty.